Welcome to How Not to DM. I'm your host, Derek. Thanks for joining me on my quest to interview the very best dungeon masters on this plane of existence. This episode's guest is Jenny from Tabletop Tavern and Just Jenny TV. Jenny is an incredibly talented dungeon master and TikTok creator who has used her previous streaming and TTRPG experience to tell awesome stories live. She has some really good pointers on how to address conflict at the table to keep the game moving and how to help your players leave room in their character backstory for growth and development. Enjoy! I'm Jenny, I'm 23. I am a full-time grad student, but uh, I started playing Dungeons and Dragons at the young age of nine years old, I got really into like LARPing for a spell because I was very cool in elementary school, had a lot of friends. And I kind of got more into D&D as a tabletop game around 13, played through like late middle school. And then in high school, I actually stopped playing for a while because I was like trying to fit in, trying to like, you know, I wanted to be captain of sports teams and date cute boys. That didn't really work. But I went back to D&D in... I want to say freshman year of undergrad. So I was like 18 and there were some kids on my dorm floor who would play like every Friday. And I remember just walking by and being like, I'm going to ask them. And they were like, <laughs> yeah, you can come play with us. Like, why wouldn't that be cool? And it was awesome. And it got me just right back into it. It was great. Oh, man. I love hearing stories where people were super friendly and accommodating when when you want to get into something, you know, instead of like the the gatekeepery bad stuff that you hear from other people, the, the horror stories. So glad that your uh, your dorm mates were down to let you play. It was really cool. It was probably helpful that it was a university that was like 65% women. So I think there was like one guy in the group and half of the women who were playing were lesbians. And it was very much like I walked in and I was like, hey, guys, um, if you let me play with you, I'll pay for pizza. And I mean, that's kind of a way to get anything in college really is to offer to buy people food. It really is. Yeah, it really is. This is totally unrelated, but I remember someone started a Twitter account during finals week of my first semester in college, and they were they called it like the Freegan account. And the whole purpose was to tweet about all of the free food around campus and to try to like get through all of finals week without buying yourself a single meal. It was pretty funny. My university absolutely had something similar. Like, or like, it wasn't even just finals week. It was just like all the time they'd tweet and be like, oh, this place a block away is giving out samples right now. Excellent. It's a yeah. great way to save money. It's a lifeline. Oh, okay. So you started a little bit while you were younger, thought you were too cool for school for a while, and then got back in. So when did you start DMing? So I started DMing about three years ago. Just because I really wanted to pick back up again, I had transferred universities and I had met some new people who'd been interested in D&D. And I was like, I could probably run this like I've played quite a bit. I could I could do this. But it, that was only like my second time I'd played in a 5e campaign. And that had been like my only exposure to 5e at the time. So then I jumped back into DM it, which was actually like it was only disastrous, like for one short <laughs> long eight hour session but like it, it went pretty well in the end yeah an eight hour session uh, an eight hour one shot was an it? eight hour one shot yeah it was supposed to be like two hours 
<laughs> it it always takes players way longer than you think to get through your stuff, especially when you're that early on. You're like, wow, I thought they would be this way faster at this. I don't know what it is. It's it's so yeah. Funny. I put in like eight encounters and was like, yeah, like we'll be fine. So was it completely homebrew? Yeah, it was completely homebrew. I don't recommend that. I wound up running another one shot off of like a pre written one online before like really trying to get back into stuff again. Um, and I think that was important because I thought that I like understood the rules really, but I'd only ever been a player. And so I think that like when I was on the other side of the table and people would ask me questions because my friends had only played like a couple times before they would ask me questions about like casters. And I've played a cleric maybe three sessions in my entire life. And, it, you know, they'd be like, I have a warlock question. And I'd be like, spell slots? Maybe? I don't know. Like, <laughs> Maybe. They're like, what does components mean? I'm like, mm, uh, yeah, stuff you need. Don't ask me what the letters stand for. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> so I definitely needed a pre-written thing, just at least for the first couple times to get really used to it. And then you feel like you hit your stride after that and it was a lot easier. Yeah, I actually wound up running a campaign with the same friends from the like using the characters from the first one shot because they were super attached to them. And that's been going for like a year and a half, maybe. So that was that's like one of my primary campaigns, but I run a bunch because I'm kind of a glutton for punishment. <laughs> yeah, there's every once in a while I'll meet someone like you who just loves to run a game like every night yeah <laughs> during the week and i don't know how you have time to do that but more power to you honestly no one has time you know yeah so, <laughs> yeah we just accept it and then we you know we're constantly like hey guys uh, can we move the session around sorry <laughs> yeah and you probably don't sleep much either no no between the law no. school and the uh the multiple campaigns yeah, I can't imagine your reading that you do every week. That's <laughs> insane. It's too much. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so you alluded to it a little bit in your your one shot, kind of having a lot of a lot of funny and weird parts that happened to you during that. So, if that is included, what are some of the worst mistakes you have made as a DM? Um, I think that like there's funny mistakes that were definitely bad, but didn't necessarily ruin the game because my players kind of just roll with things which is awesome. But I think that like the more serious DMing mistakes for me have always come from not clarifying expectations right off the bat, not kind of enforcing those expectations when boundaries are pushed as much as maybe I should have in the past, like just not really shutting things down fast enough. So for me, like something I've always tried to do because I was 13 years old and playing games in like game stores with grown adult men, like it was really like the guys who ran the tables were pretty cool. One of them was a friend's older brother. And so like we would go in and we'd go play with him and like just a couple of dudes from around the shop. And most of them were cool. And if someone was uncool, like something I really admired about him was he was really good at being like my store, my table, my rules and like moving people away. Something that like I wish I'd internalized more or realized that I wanted that to be a part of my games was to like just kind of enforce boundaries. And it, it sucks to do sometimes. And I think that's kind of where the hesitation comes in for me is that nobody wants to tell your friends like knock it off but i think that that's something that i just i should have done more right from the beginning you're not the first guest to talk about consent and gaming and that kind of thing being uh, one of the biggest trip ups at the beginning and you won't be the last so don't worry you know there's plenty of other people who have done this and have struggled with that but i think it's an awesome conversation that was started a while ago and that keeps growing and keeps changing and i hope that it grows into something that's kind of just built in 
to all of the games everyone plays, right? Now that I'm, I've been running games for a little while, it's, it just makes a lot of sense to set kind of parameters and ex- expectations and boundaries at the beginning. And then you don't sit through a game you hate or you don't have players you hate, which can both be just total vibe killers. Absolutely. And I think I figured out over time that that at like, you know, you can run a session zero, you can make boundaries really clear and people will still sometimes cross them. And so I think mm-hmm. a valuable like consent and gaming skill I learned was how to approach a conversation with a player or even remove a player in a way that kind of supports everyone's needs at the table and kind of prioritizing that over, say, you know, not having someone be upset with you for decisions. Because I think ultimately for me, what I learned and what I continue to learn is that like player safety needs to be on the table, not just fun and laughter. If you don't mind me asking, what, what, how have you found is the best way to do that? Then you talked about a good way or a, the best way to kind of address that situation. Um, the first thing I do is maybe like for me, I kind of notice when a player is uncomfortable. Largely, I start with the person who I noticed maybe having an issue at the table. And there might be multiple people. It might be a complicated thing, but I try to like talk to everyone, see like, hey, I noticed that you had like kind of a weird expression today. Is everything okay? Did this particular thing push you too far? Is there anything you want from me? Is there anything I can do to make you feel safer? That kind of conversation. And then if that player is okay with me confronting or wants me to confront the other person, that's when I kind of like put on kind of my tough boots. I don't I don't really wear boots, but, you know, and try to have that <laughs> yeah. conversation. And it really depends on the player. I've had people who I've DM'd or texted because they have a hard time with face-to-face conversations like that. Um, and then there are people, too, who I'm like, hey, let's sit down and talk about this. I also find that you don't wind up having to have that conversation as often if you just be like, that's not okay, or let's everyone take a bathroom break. You come with me. We need to talk. I think that that's kind of a more appropriate way to... Uh, try to prevent those kinds of conversations from having to happen. And that makes the next two to however many hours less awkward too. Exactly, exactly. If you can shut it down right away and even, you know, like the players can have a quick conversation where one of them is like, yo, man, I didn't really think about that, blah, blah, blah. It just, it makes so, and it makes like several sessions afterwards more enjoyable. Like even if it's still awkward for two hours, it's not awkward for like three weeks while you you let the problem fester until you have to take more harsh action. Let's get to the fun stuff now, and that is what is one of your favorite monsters or NPCs or encounters you've used to challenge your players? One of my more favorite ones to go to that I find really kind of messes with my players' heads and actually forces some really great role play out of a combat encounter is anything with doppelgangers, any kind of look-alike creature where they can like look like their loved ones that maybe they've been missing for a really long time. And sort of have them role play that interaction, maybe knowing that it's not their loved one, but having to like really deal with that, I think is just like a really excellent way to get character development out of combat, which I Mm. think that like for smaller battles doesn't really necessarily happen. I like to be like, hmm, here's like a BBEG showdown and some character development. But I think that using like smaller encounters to have kind of party dynamics or individual motivations examined is really fun for me personally. Yeah, you're the first person to mention doppelgangers, which I love to use in my current campaign. My party has actually employed one and they send him off on missions to impersonate random people and collect information. And it's awesome. It's it's so fun to role play. And like so much longer lasting than disguise self, you know, for sure. (laughs) 
What about a memory of improv in your campaign? So it could, it's just something that you came up with off the cuff that you hadn't planned, but just worked out perfectly. My player's favorite character, like favorite NPC is named Travis. And he's this just like giant half-orc bartender. Cause you know, every, every D&D campaign needs at least one half-orc bartender who's just mm-hmm. like a former adventurer. He's, you know, he's a little gruff, he's handsome, he's kind, but not too kind, you know, and they they love him. Travis was an unnamed, just like faceless NPC who they were supposed to ask for directions one time. Like they went to the end to ask him for directions and then got sucked into like a 55 minute conversation during which I developed like the whole storyline for him uh, involving like, he killed his brother because there was an orcish ceremony that he found out wasn't actually an orcish ceremony and it was just his dad being crazy so he left and then he decided to run a bar and now he's just waiting for a beautiful half-orc woman to walk in and then he realized that one of the party members was a beautiful half-orc and uh you know it's it's kind of gone off the rails now but uh, they are in love. They have a beautiful relationship. He writes her poetry. The warlock moved in with him as his adopted <laughs> roommates. son. Yeah. Oh, adopted son, not <laughs> even roommates. <laughs> no. But the warlock's also like fully 19 years old. Like he does not need a 27-year-old orc father. And he, oh, he teaches him how to write in common because he, he doesn't know how to read or write. He also, the warlock doesn't or the bartender doesn't? The bartender doesn't. Okay. Yeah, it's... It's weird. I mean, I suppose you could have a warlock that doesn't know how to read or write. They That's don't need true. to. They don't need yeah. to. Yeah. No, yeah. and uh, the warlock's great. You know, he had the half-orc convinced that he was a wizard or something. I don't know was the exact phrase. But, you know, that int modifier was really low. The perception check did not uh, pan out in the bartender's favor. <laughs> oh, man. In listening to a few of your, um, and, and watching a few of your streams in the past few weeks here, I've noticed that you do a great job of juggling all of these different NPCs. And uh, like, I just listened to a uh, an episode where there was a funeral and you've got like all of these people talking and like all of this stuff happening. And it was really impressive and really fun to, to watch you, uh, you know, jump from person to person to person and, and keep it all going. And it was a live stream too. So there was no editing. It was just you being awesome. So that was really fun to watch. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was... Um... I think that that might have been the most NPC voices I've made myself do back to back. And I just like I couldn't keep track of it. And I thought I did a really good job until our most recent session in which I could not get myself to do the voice of a particular NPC and just got stuck in a different NPC's voice and had to be like, OK, guys, um, I need to go get a drink of water like you guys role play amongst yourselves. I gotta go think about my life choices. Who do you consider your greatest influences on how you DM? They could be really popular, well-known, or they could be people that that just had a great influence on you personally? Okay, so there's a couple answers to this question. I actually was not big into listening to D&D podcasts until I was thinking about starting my own, and I started listening Mm -hmm. to them and got really into them and was like, okay, these are great. So a lot of those DMs I don't think really influenced my DM style as much as reading did. I think it's kind of how I got my narration style. I was a big reader as a kid. You don't make a lot of friends at LARP camp, actually. You know, I kind of, I mentioned earlier about being nine years old, loving LARP. Did not make a lot of friends there. Did read a lot of books. Uh, I wound up getting a degree in literature for my undergraduate degree, which is why I'm in law school. Not a lot of places to go from there. But I think that that was a really big influence on my narrative style. In terms of my Mm. DM style, I think 
there's really two people and they're they're just people I know in real life. The first would be my first DM when I was 13. Like my first DM I knew as a person as opposed to like an adult who was trained to run games for children. Um <laughs> And he was this weird nerd boy who I had a crazy crush on. And so I was like, yeah, I'll play D&D with you. And so I kind of always consider myself like a Call of Duty lobby DM. Because there's a little bit of like, you know, people are like, yeah, you cast Counterspell. And I'm like, I counterspelled your mom last night. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Like there's a little bit of that energy. So uh, shout out to him. He was, you know, we're we're still buddies. Uh, I did get over the crush. It took a little while, but I got over it and... I only had to play League of Legends once to get over it, which was great. And then the other would be my freshman year of college. My DM's name was Lizzie. They were wonderful and did all of these fabulous voices. And it was really the most fun I'd ever had at a table as a player. And I was like, I need to learn how to do this the way that, that they do, because it's incredible. What is your biggest D&D pet peeve? The thing that just gets under your skin that you hate, that you cannot abide? Okay, so I am an incredibly picky D&D connoisseur, okay? I just want to put it out mm-hmm. there. You know when you take, like, a toddler to a restaurant and they're like, I want buttered noodles, and you're like, this is a vegan soy-based Chinese restaurant, and they're like, I want buttered noodles? That's kind of how I am with D&D. My players are all super good about my stuff. They never, like, push my buttons, but I've got quite a few. I think the biggest one is people who make like fully complete characters. Like I'll start them at level one and they'll give me like a 30 page backstory in which they've lived an entire life. You know, they'll be like, I was elected president and blah, blah, blah. And like their character is supposed to be like 27 and has lived just an exceptionally full and vivacious life Um, because it's hard for me to do anything with that. It's hard for me to make a backstory work into the narrative. It's hard for me to, I don't know, develop your character in any way through the plot. I find that players who do that wind up unsatisfied in the game. And that's kind of a bummer for me, too, because I want people to have fun. So that that's like a big one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they, they don't leave any openings, any loose ends, nothing for you to, to try to tie up and, and tie into the story. Yeah, exactly. There's not even like a big mystery. I am very lucky in that one of my players plays an old lady and she's wonderful. She does a great job with the old lady and the old ladies lived like a very fulfilling life. But she, her husband went comatose and she had to go find a magical remedy. So that like gave her a reason to be out. It gave her an anchor to her home. So it was easy to kind of work her into the storyline. And she gave me more as, as she went on and it, it became like a very developed character. And I think that that's kind of the correct way to go about things is to make sure that you leave enough loose ends for people to tie them up for you. Yeah, if you already have written their whole story, then like, what are we even doing here? Go write your novel. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you've been creating D&D TikToks for about six months now. How did you get into that? And, you know, what's been your favorite part of that journey so far? In terms of getting into making TikToks, I was really resistant to TikTok for a long time. Uh, I definitely was like, that's some kind of teenager nonsense. Like, I'm in my early 20s, but on the inside, I'm sitting here like, the greatest generation. We paid 10 cents for a Coca-Cola. Anyway, so I was was very resistant to TikTok. I wasn't that interested in making content for it. I wasn't even that big of a fan of Vine. So for me, like, I was like, just not Mm, that interested in general. But I was running the Tabletop Tavern, which is my D&D actual play. And one of our players is a marketing director for her real job. And so she's been in charge of our marketing. And she uh, 
she was like, you know, we really need to get on TikTok and start doing TikTok conversion. And she was like, I've gotten on. It's been really good for my content. I'm really enjoying making stuff on it. You should get on and just do some D&D stuff every once in a while. And I was like, I will do three. That is my limit. I will make you three skits. And if I hate it, I am never coming back to this app. And she was like, that's fine. So I made a couple of TikToks and I found I really enjoyed it. I found I was a lot more successful on TikTok than I'd been on, on other social media websites. So I was like, oh, you know, I'm I like success. I'm, you know, hashtag girl boss or whatever. I got on TikTok. I made quite a few. I started to like meet people. Um, I'd gone through and followed people for a couple of weeks before I started making TikToks because I wanted to know what things were like. And I loved so much of the content. And the really cool thing for me about creating TikTok content has been that I've gotten to like meet and talk to so many really, really cool creators who I've been sitting here like admiring them their stuff. TikTok's really unique in that you can only DM each other if you follow each other mutually. So being able to like talk to them or interact with them and, uh, you know, I've been able to play a couple one shots with some mutuals, just meeting more people who share the hobby has been really, really cool for me because that was something that I lacked for so long people to to share the hobby with and to play games with and to just like nerd out with i always want to talk about DD characters and i'm like jenny you're at the dinner table you cannot bring up <laughs> the orc state fair again you did that once and your dad was trying to be polite and asked if there was a butter sculpture of the minotaur and then things got weird like you can't bring it up at family dinner again your parents only see you once a month like <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a good idea from your dad i <laughs> my parents yeah they just they are glad that I'm doing what I like, but that's about as deep as it got. And exactly. my wife is just sick of of hearing about it. I mean, she plays in my game and stuff, but like if I talk about it every day, she would go crazy. So exactly, it yeah. is good to have your people. Did you expect that huge leap of following so quickly? And then what are some of the good and bad things from this newfound audience that, that you've run into? Um, so in terms of... of what my expectations were. I was not expecting any kind of following on TikTok. I've uh, been on Twitter for a while. I've been on Twitch for a while. My Twitch was doing pretty well for, you know, most of quarantine, like a lot of people's were. And then it kind of slowed down and I was sort of like, okay, you know, like the heyday of social media is over. I can just enjoy this. And so when I went on TikTok, I was like, yeah, maybe like 150 people will watch my stuff and that's totally fine. That's 150 new people. That'll be fun. And so I think like my second TikTok I ever posted went and got like 26,000 views. And I was like, I do not understand this app, but I think I like it. It was totally unexpected. And it's been good that I didn't go in with that expectation because I'm not someone who worries too much about growth on TikTok. I think that the algorithm is finicky and it'll it'll work itself out. But it was unexpected. And it's been really cool. It's been really cool for a lot of reasons. Like I said, I've met some really cool people. I have met some really supportive people. I've met people who have been like, yo, like you made me a better dungeon master or like you made me more, more, more confident going into a game. Love that. Love that. The content I make, <laughs> there's definitely, sorry about that. There's definitely a couple of downsides <laughs> to, you know, the content that I put out there. I think that the algorithm rewards certain types of content. And some of them are content that I don't necessarily enjoy creating, not because I'm not speaking my mind or not being truthful about my experience, but because uh, a lot of TikToks that I make kind of call out behavior that makes the hobby a worse place to participate in. And there are a lot of people who are kind of uncomfortable with that being content that I create. I get a lot of comments that are ready to assume worst intentions. 
or want to debate with me and my response to that is always like you cannot afford my hourly fee like i'm so sorry i got law school <laughs> debt to pay off like if we're debating you are paying me and you're wearing your business formal attire it, you know it, it can be kind of detrimental to my mental health i definitely do try to take breaks i don't post every day even though that's definitely what tiktok wants mm -hmm. just because i think that like i set myself up i do like if your job is to bait people People are going to take the bait. It's kind of how the algorithm works, is that you're going to get a lot of comments, you get a lot of interactions, you're going to get people seeing, feeling seen, which is kind of my goal, is when people are like, hey, thanks for saying that, that's been my experience. There's a lot of people out there who don't like me, and that's okay, you know? I don't need to be loved. <laughs> no, especially by strangers on the internet, who cares? Exactly. Yeah. Like, what are you going to do, it's... fight me when you see me at your local game store? No. Yeah, <laughs> so stupid. In fact, they probably wouldn't even talk to you because they'd be like, oh, shoot, that's the girl that I said all that stupid stuff to. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. I have appreciated your candor on there, and I think that you handle it pretty well, all things considered. So, bravo, and uh, don't let don't let the stupid guys who live in their parents' basements get you down. So. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Let's get to some more fun stuff then. You mentioned Tabletop Tavern a couple of times. That's your actual play. You've streamed it. You've got it as a podcast. Was it a podcast first and then you started streaming or was it both? So it was actually, uh, it's been both the entire time. We kind of wanted okay. it to be live just because everyone who participates is a streamer. We sort of had all of the infrastructure in place for that, which is pretty easy to just be like, all right, everybody use your cameras and your mics that you have and let's just get to it. Everyone's really used to being on camera. They're used to being live, which I think made it a lot easier for us. But it does make it harder to edit. But that's not my job. So, Yeah, nice. <laughs> uh, you started this game a little while ago. So tell us a little bit about uh, your game, a little bit of lore, about your players, what people can expect from the show. Yeah, absolutely. So the Tabletop Tavern's current campaign follows the story of, well, now three kind of misfit heroes are heroes such as they are they're sort of a weird mishmash they really don't get along i've made a video about this before but i love a party dynamic where nobody is actually like that friendly with each other it's more out of necessity so it's it's been really really fun it follows the adventures of gris littlefoot ariadne on Kalti. Kalte? it's irish i should know how to pronounce it by now but they correct <laughs> me every time and leon labelle um, three sort of very unconventional friends who are trying to stop a cosmic apocalypse that's been foretold by a prophecy. There are quite a few things come into play. Leon's looking for her dad. Ariadne is looking for meaning and rum. Gris is looking for her husband, whose mysterious sort of magical coma seems to be connected with this prophecy. It's all very messy, very fun. All of their characters at some point are ready to kill each other, which I just adore. It's also, uh, it, it's based off of a world that I started writing probably a year and a half ago. My other campaign actually takes place on the same continent in the same timeline. So they occasionally cross paths with each other, which is really fun to be able to bring on like guest NPCs who are played by my other players. I've been really, really enjoying it. I've been brought to tears by my players role play and the things that they ad lib are funny and heartbreaking and I'm just, I'm really proud of them. And it's been a really fun and wonderful project. What is the biggest difference in your mind or the biggest difference for you of DMing around your table, just with your friends versus DMing for the whole internet on Twitch live 
you kind of talked about a couple of times earlier, right? Where you had to say, okay, give me five minutes. I need to go remember this accent. But, you know, what, what's the transition been like? Ooh, well, uh, there's a couple things in private games that you're able to do that you're not able to do in a live public game. A live public game for us, we try to limit it to two to two and a half hours. So it can be like a feasible podcast length. I have kind of a goal and a timeline of stuff to get through procession. Obviously, that doesn't happen every time players are unpredictable. Sometimes you want them to go east and they go west. But I, I try to be kind of more concise about things. Both are very role play heavy groups. I try to keep that consistent. Uh, I'm a little bit more of a stickler for the rules in the live stream campaigns because I find that you get a lot of criticism as a DM if you're not DMing by the book, which I mean, I have to put it out there. I think the book's a little boring. I, you know, I think that like the rules are really suggestions. It says in the book to ignore the rules so that, you know, in, in reality, I'm right. But <laughs> people on the internet don't love that. So uh, that's something we definitely try to crack down on. I don't drink on my live streamed games. That's... <laughs> For me, that would not be professional or appropriate based off the guidelines <laughs> we have as a group. My private games, you know, it's usually a Saturday night. It's like an eight hour session with my friends. Like we're gonna we're gonna have some Smirnov. We're gonna have a good time. Like we all know each other really well. We've been friends for probably five years. So like there's a really good understanding and foundation of what the boundaries are. And so it's a little bit, it's a little bit looser. I let a shenanigan go on a little bit longer. I let them goof until the goof dies. You know, I let them beat a dead horse. That's something we've tried to avoid to do with the live games because that takes yeah. up a lot of time. So, <laughs> I, you know, I don't really prefer one or the other. I think that the live games are fun because a lot of people have input on what's happening. But I also think that Private games are fun because sometimes you just want to have like a good old fashioned mom's basement pizza and beer D&D party. Yeah, I've only ever participated in one live stream at the time of this recording. I've got a few planned, but I respect anybody who is willing to put their work out there like that. I'm definitely a fan of your work and the willingness to share that with everybody else. Oh, thank you. You make it, you make it sound like a lot braver than it is really like... <laughs> I'm sitting in my office, you know, everything's painted pink. I got like an air mattress on the floor. Like it's, I think that for me, my approach is that there are people who will treat you like you're not a real person on the internet. Yeah. And the great thing is, is that when someone does that, you can just ignore them. Like they're not a real person and it makes them angrier. And I, like, I think that for me, that has been the key to streaming, to streaming games, to TikTok, to Twitter, to everything. What are your goals for? your game and for TikTok in the coming year, you know, do you have any specific setup or is it just kind of business as usual? I know your, your, your game is in its third and final act, right? Or, or one of them anyway. Yeah. So our current campaign for TTT is in its final part of the first campaign. Um, after that, I'm looking to start a second campaign, probably add a player or two to that, we're kind of aiming to focus more on the podcast side of things uh, and YouTube side for our next campaign. We're going to finally buy the rights to some sound effects, which mm. is more expensive than one would expect. <laughs> um, so that'll be good. Uh, we want to see some more growth on Twitch, obviously, but the conversion is really good between like podcasting services and YouTube to Twitch. So that's something that we're able to focus on that's more tangible than just like, we would like to see Twitch be better at giving us to people via the algorithm. I'm also looking to do a couple more like one shots with TikTok mutuals on my Twitch page. I think that that would be really fun. Uh, I'm going to be in a couple of campaigns upcoming. 
I can't say anything yet, cause but they're they're in the works. In terms of TikTok, you know, I kind of I kind of mentioned this earlier, but I would like to be able to produce content that doesn't force me to be like a hot take generator. I love I love being <laughs> a hot take generator. You know, like I'm an opinionated woman. I know this about myself. I love to argue. You know, I'm going to school for it because I might yeah. as well monetize it. But might as well, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But you know, I would like to be able to kind of do what a lot of other DMs on TikTok do and be able to discuss lore, how I change it, fun ideas for people to use. But currently, with the way that my content is, those just tend to get less views. It's less sustainable for growth. So I want to be able to kind of figure out a way to reorient my content. I wouldn't necessarily say that my content is negative. I think that people put negative energy out there and I reflect it back to them because I think that's a very Zen take on what I do. But, you know, I, I would like to be able to put out content that makes me feel happy and has less of a tendency to make people just say horribly vile things to me. I don't know. Um, I would love to be on YouTube more. I think that it would be hard to have a consistent YouTube schedule. Twitch is nice because you start making a video and you're live. There's no post-production or anything. Uh, so that, that's that been really nice for me. I would like to start putting out maybe some more informational stuff on YouTube, uh, a little bit more kind of in-depth things. I've made a couple videos about like advice for DMing. I'd love to make that a YouTube series I could put together. But yeah. for now, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see more growth in, in campaigns and have the opportunity to collaborate more with cool creators like I'm doing right now. You know, like I, I would love to be able to do this kind of thing more often. Well, I will do my best to ask you lots of questions about lore and stuff in the comments where people are calling you awful names and then you can answer those instead. Oh, thank you. I would really appreciate that. Yeah, people will be like, God, she's such a swear word. And you can be like, hey, I have a question about goblins. <laughs> and I'll be like, let me tell you about goblins. I believe they should all have New York accents. Hey, hey, all the goblins got to have New York accents, of course. Hey, kid, you ever met a goblin? You want to? met a goblin? Would you like to? <laughs> Would you like to? Oh, man. Okay, so you mentioned the things that you're working on. Where can people find your work online? Twitch is where you can find live versions of my actual play. Uh, that's twitch.tv slash the tabletop tavern underscore. Uh, you can also find my personal channel on Twitch where I play games, run commentary. I do talk about D&D a lot because of who I am at twitch.tv slash just Jenny underscore. Uh, you can also find the Tabletop Tavern on Spotify, Anchor, op Apple Podcasts. Just look up the Tabletop Tavern. We're the ones that are there. That's us. If you look it up and you see the Tabletop Tavern, you've done it. Congratulations. Uh, that's us. It's a wonderful podcast. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm just, I'm very proud of it. So feel free to check it out. You can also find me on TikTok at justjenny.tv because just Jenny underscore was taken. And it might have been by me in the past, but I don't remember the logon. <laughs> <laughs> or the email you used or anything. <laughs> oh, I have like man. 600 emails. I've been on the internet forever. Uh, I too have too many emails. Oh, man. Uh, you also do art. I know you've got some commissions open. I do, yes. My art commissions are open. You can find more information about my art on Twitter under JustJennyTTV. There's some fun examples there. I would say some of my art is NSFW, so uh, just keep that in mind. I tend to say NSFW in the tag. So if you have like a blocked word thing, that should be great. But if you don't, don't look at it in like work or church unless your boss and or priest is very cool. 
<laughs> very cool oh man okay well thanks so much for coming on jenny it's been a blast when i saw your content i was like man that's someone i gotta get on my show so really excited that, that we were able to make this happen and uh yeah excited to see what's to come for you absolutely thank you so much for having me on it was a blast thanks for listening to how not to dm a couple of quick announcements and then we'll get to our featured DM War Story of the Week. If you have any questions for past guests on my show, join my Discord server. It's a great place to start a conversation about running the game with a lot of knowledgeable people. For 10% off your next Impulse Dice purchase, visit adventuredice.ca and use my code HN, the number 2, DM at checkout. They're based in Canada, so take advantage of the great exchange rate if you're from the States. Links to Adventure Dice and Discord are in the episode notes. Also, I've recently delved into D&D TikTok. You can find me there under at HN, the number two, DM. Let's get to our DM war story. This story comes from Gerald Ereth Art. That's J-E-R-A-L-D-E-R-E-T-H-A-R-T on Instagram. Gerald says, So the first campaign I designed was supposed to be a slow build to a race against the five separate heads of Tiamat trying to find each other and reform into the big nasty that she is. Instead, the whole campaign went without a single insight check, and they just took the first head at her word and gathered the rest of the sisters in elven form disguises and brought them back to their home base to have half the team be almost destroyed as another attempt to summon Cthulhu to battle Tiamat. It worked until it didn't. Now they were up against two godlike powers in a three-way struggle for power in this battle that could have been so much easier had they just been a bit more wary of strangers. That uh, sounds really interesting, Gerald. I've never thought about making characters battle Tiamat and Cthulhu in the same campaign, but you know, why not? This is Dungeons and Dragons, baby. Thanks for sharing, Gerald. All right. As always, my intro and outro music is by my good friend Torin, aka Mr. Tape on Spotify. Make sure to check his stuff out. And until next time, roll some net 20s for me.